Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jerry Springer. Thank you. Thank you. Whoa. Oh, man. Please sit down. Sit down. <laughs> sit down. That's great. They were. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, thanks for coming. We, this is, we're doing something real interesting. Tonight. We are. And by the way, in a few minutes, Jerry's going to talk about the controversial move of the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem and the aftermath of that. We also have on a little bit later Andrew Atkins from Nashville, Tennessee, Woo! who's going to push him. But Jerry and Megan, I want to tell you about something. Uh, you guys know that I do some cycling in my life, and so I was on a trip. Uh, there's a little town called Yellow Springs, Ohio. It's Love a little, cool Springs. little hippie oh, yeah. Yeah. college Great town place. in what I guess what you would call South Central Ohio. And it's on this trail called the Little Miami Bike Trail. And I have ridden it a bunch of times. I, my wife met me at a B&B in Yellow Springs, and I rode my bike up. And by the way, this trail, there is a trail that goes called the Ohio to Erie Trail. Mm -hmm. It goes from the Ohio River to Lake Erie, so yeah. that's about 250 miles from Cincinnati to Cleveland on this trail. And then it goes beyond there, and there, so there's a whole series of bike trails that run from the north to the south. And if you're going to do that, you're going to be on roads plenty and sometimes sure. bike trails. So I'm riding on this bike trail, and I see this guy come in the other direction. And I call them long-mile guys. They're, they're loaded. You could tell they're, they're not just lo riding locally. Because yeah. they got big bags they on their bikes. They've got panniers, they're called, which are like saddlebags on the yeah. back of their bikes. And you can just tell they are, they're out on a journey, on an yeah. adventure. So I see this guy coming. I put those things in the trunk of my Bentley. <laughs> yeah, and you understand. Yeah. Yeah. And just remind, remind the guy to get him out for you yeah. when you get yeah. there. Oh, he's on two wheels. And so yeah. I, I flagged him down because I always feel whenever you see one of these men or women, there's always a great story behind it. Mm -hmm. Like, sure. where the hell are you going? Where are you coming yeah. from? So this guy stops. Very good nature guy. I learned his name is Jerome Pellett. And I said, where are you from? And he said, from Montreal. Mm -hmm. Wow, you've ridden to South Central Ohio from Montreal, Canada? Yeah. And I said, where are you going? And he says, to the tip of Argentina. <laughs> what? <Whoa. laughs> yeah. I'm talking to you right here, and you're going to Argentina? And he says, yeah, that's where I'm, I'm headed. Uh, there's a town, and uh, it's at the end of Argentina, and it's always thought of as the end of the world. Yeah. The only thing past there is Antarctica. So... Uh, I chatted with him for a while. I thought it was great to ride on and meet my wife. Uh, we spend an evening in this B&B, and I tell her about this guy. And then I'm riding back to Cincinnati the next morning, and, boy, there was a huge storm came through that yeah. night because my wife and I are hearing it. It awakened yeah. us. So I'm riding down the trail. Now it's a beautiful, sunny morning, and I see down the way, right next to the bike trail, a tent and a bike. Mm-hmm. And I roll up on it, and I says, that's Jerome. <laughs> and I get off my bike, and he is, uh, he's kind of wet because it rained all night. Yeah. And he had a tent that was, uh, he had a, it was a nice tent, but it wasn't, as an avid backpacker, uh, it didn't look completely secure from the weather to me. Yeah. 
and a conversation ensued. I got his email address, and then I contacted him and sent via email and said, I got a lot of gear because I do a lot of backpacking and cycling with backpacking gear. I says, I got a tent. I'll, I'll give it to you. Do you want it? Yeah, heck yeah, I'll take it. And so I contacted a bike shop down in Nashville, and I said, there's a guy coming your way from Montreal headed for Argentina. Can I send him to you, and I'll mail this tent to you? It weighs about a pound, pound and yeah. a half, so mm -hmm. it's perfect for this kind of journey. Mm -hmm. So he's and now got your tent. He's got my tent, and I know That's I'll really never nice make it to the end of Argentina, but I'm hoping my tent does. <laughs> yeah. Are there no motels along the way? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, so this is a great journey. So we happen really to have cool. Jerome Paulette on the line. Hey, Jerome. Hey, Jerome. Give a round of applause. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. You too, man. I, and uh, I'm anxious to hear, uh, and I've been reading your blog, and we've stayed in touch some uh, via emails, and sometimes Jerome is where there's Wi-Fi, sometimes not. Uh, so tell yeah. us, where are you right now? Uh, right now I'm in Tapachua, real close to the Guatemalan border uh, in southern Mexico in the Chiapas state. Unbelievable. Wait, and when did you when did you see him? Uh, in I don't know, six months ago, but here's it. Oh. But I'm going to tell you something about oh. what he's been doing. I know this because I've kind of I stayed in touch with week. him. <laughs> Jerome, you stopped in Texas for a while, correct? And tell us uh, what you did there. Did you stop there on uh, purpose? Yeah, I stopped in uh, Houston uh, to volunteer on uh, Hurricane Harvey Recovery. And then uh, I stayed there for two months, and then I really fell in love with the organization down there, and I decided to stop at the other camp, just a little lower of Corpus Christi. That wow. Is, that is it's really uh, – um, this is uh, Jerry Springer, and thanks for doing this, by the way. Um, what, what prompts you – in other words, what, what did you do before you decided to take – because I assume this takes a whole year, right? Uh, yeah, it's gonna take a while. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, what what were you doing before you decided I'm taking a year off, and I'm gonna get on my bike and I'm gonna ride from Montreal to the end of the world, and uh, which yeah. I really admire. But what were you doing? Uh, I was a freelance uh, French voiceover actor. I was doing mostly uh, e-learning classes and audiobooks. Huh. Wow. Very wow. cool. And you and. Uh, People should know this about you. It's obvious that when you're on this adventure, you when you come upon conditions in a country, America is not your you're Canadian, but yet you stayed for a two-month period and helped with the uh, Hurricane Harvey recovery. Uh, that's just part of how you roll, correct? I mean... Yeah, well, it, it wasn't planned at all, but Houston was on my route since before I left home, and then when I heard about the hurricane, I think I was uh, in Blueville. And, uh, I mean, it just made sense to me that when I would get there, I would, I would try to help. Gene had mentioned that you have a blog. What is the name of that blog? Where can we find that? I'd love to read uh, I think the easiest way to find it is by typing uh, Jerome and the road works. Okay. I'll, I'll make sure that uh, we we'll get it. Up on we'll our, put it on yeah. our website. I'd be very interested to read, do you, read about that. Do you speak blog. Spanish? I try to. <laughs> just, I'm in the process <laughs> of learning really slowly. <laughs> Yeah, because I imagine now for the rest of your trip, most of the places you're going, that's going to be the primary language, even though a lot of places, of course, speak English. But Yeah, yeah. 
I'm learning slowly but surely. Yeah. Do you ever, I mean, I was kind of joking, why don't you stay at a motel or whatever. Do, do you at some point on the trip stay in a hotel or, you know, indoors or people put you up? Uh, yeah, I did in uh, northern Mexico because I met a guy on the beach in Louisiana and he, he lived in Mexico for like five years. And he told me when you're in northern Mexico, it's a dangerous place. You'd better stay in uh, cheap hotels along the way. Are there any scary places? In other words, have you, as you're riding through, obviously places you don't know of, are you ever in an area where you suddenly say to yourself, yikes, this is kind of sketchy and I don't speak the language. I, you know, this could be dangerous. Do you run into any of that? Is there any fear involved in what you're doing? Uh, yeah, it happened uh, a couple times. I met some, I actually met some carnal guys back in Kamalapak uh, State, and it was really uh, a frightening situation. I was on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. and I, I see these cars parked in front of each other on both sides of the road, and I, I can't. I don't know why, but I had a feeling, and I asked myself, "Is this where I die?" Oh. And I didn't—I I didn't know they were Carl guy for yeah. uh, quite a while. And yeah, I, a spoiler alert—he didn't the, die. Yeah, go ahead. And I, I learned like a couple days ago that uh, two cyclists have been killed uh, here in Chiapas State and uh, on Cristobal, I believe. And it's, it's kind of—it's kind of uh, yeah, it's troubling. It's, I didn't change my plan because I mean it's. It's really a case of wrong place, wrong time. And it's sure. really extreme, wrong place, wrong time. But I, I don't want to believe that it's that it's the common thing to happen. Yep. Hey, Jerome, uh, it's uh, mid-May. When do you think you'll be done? When do you think you'll hit the end of Argentina? Do you have a sense of that? Um, before I left home, uh I figured about 250 days, and today it's day 299, so I really, I can't say, I can't say. Okay. It's going to be, I'll I'll try to make it for maybe September or October. Okay. Yeah. uh, After after their winter time, because I don't want to bike in winter time in Patagonia. It would need more equipment and more weight on my bicycle. Yeah. Now, how are you going to get back home? <laughs> Whichever um, mean of transportation that is not my bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Okay. Have there been, and I'll, I'll leave you then after this, unless Gene, you have questions, or uh, Megan, but uh, are there moments and are they increasing where you're suddenly saying, what am I doing? I'm I'm in pain. My legs hurt. I hurt. I mean, is there? Do you run? I guess like runners when they run the marathon, they hit the wall. Uh, do you experience any of that from time to time? Saying I just can't go on. I uh, I do, but reach a point where I'm finally. I know that I can make it. I know that I can make it mentally and physically, and I I don't know if I will, but I know that I have it and need to make it. Fantastic. How old are you? I'm 34. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, you know, I haven't met you, so I, are you a young man doing this? Or you're not 74, that's a... Okay, so, so therefore I won't I, I do might it. be by the, by the end of the trip, I might be. Okay, you, one last question. Your name is Jerome. As you're riding down the roads, are people going, Jerry, Jerry? 
<laughs> well, here in Mexico, it's uh, to make people understand my name, I gotta say Jeronimo. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. Hey, Jerome, do you have uh, any kind of GoFundMe thing going on? Uh, yes, I do. I do. Uh, thanks for asking. Uh, you can find it on my website, or if not, it's called uh, Montreal to Ushuaia. Would you do me a favor when you are near Wi-Fi, whether that's today or some other day, if you would email me the information, I have it once from our original email, but send it to me again, the address for any GoFundMe uh, structure and as well as your blog, and I'll make sure that both go on our website because I would ask people, look, in fact, I'll just say this to people, this is a good guy. You can tell it by not only by what he's done sure. by stopping in, for example, in Houston and helping with the yeah. uh, Harvey recovery. And I've met him. I've talked to him many times. He's a kindred spirit to my attitude about the outdoors and adventures. This is a freaking adventure. This is oh, something yeah. that I would dream about <laughs> doing. And like I told him the other day in an email, I'm not going to make it to the end of Argentina, but I hope my tent does. And then Jerome says, well, Gene, there's a thing about your tent. Uh, (laughs) Last night I had to pitch it on some briars and poke some holes. I've been through this, Jerome. I've done that. And so he says, I patched it. And I said, I will tell anybody, the one thing you got to carry if you're a cyclist out camping out on the trail or a backpacker is carry some duct tape. Sure. To slap some duct tape. Yeah, I do. On. I do have some. There you go, man. That tent will make it so that it's clear. That's your tent now from That's here it. on. When you're done, you yeah. give it to somebody or throw it away or whatever. I was very happy to help you because you are a brother. So keep riding and ride safe. Thanks again. Thanks again for the fans. I mean, I'm a guy who would get attached to stuff, especially stuff that I've been with for, for a long time. So I, I, I know what it means. It's not about the money. It's about like the, the trip that you had with that piece of equipment that, that was your home. Hmm. All right. Ride safe, Jerome. Thanks, Take Jerome. Love you, bro. See ya. Bye-bye. Thank you. Sure. Wow. Jerome Paulette, he's that's really pretty cool. interesting. Yeah, yeah, I yeah pretty check interesting. Check out that blog for hey, sure. Hey, uh, I wanted to ask you one other thing, and this this is uh, really about Jerry and me, but then younger people like you, Megan, and Catfish, and Casey, and all the people who, the very beginning of this show, we said, hey, let's do folk music as the right. music element of the show. Mm-hmm. So we said we would have a third some funny stuff, a third some political chat, and then a third of music. So... Jerry and I came from folk music, but you can hear all, and, and we've had blues people on like yeah, we did last week, week, and we've had some uh, bluegrass and, and plenty of folk, but it's all modern stuff. So I was going through some stuff that I have. I'm not a pack rat, but I do have a box, and in this box, I found this magazine. I'm going to hold it up for oh, Jerry. Hoot Nanny. And I'll hold it up for <laughs> Facebook Live, and this is basically a, an audio format here, but I'm holding up a magazine that I bought in 1962, and it was a short-lived magazine called Hootenanny, and on yeah. the cover, it has Peter, Paul, and Mary. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I got to tell you, it is loaded with interviews and some pretty darn good ones from all these people who were iconic At the time, from yeah. the 60s. Pete yeah. Seeger, Eric yeah. Darling of the Weavers, yeah. uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, etc. And there's even sheet music in here. I brought it into Folk School Coffee Parlor one day and Catfish 
poured over it as I did, and we were kind of fascinated with it. It's got some ads, <clears throat> and it's just a piece of, uh, of folk music uh, lore. And I had wished that when Noel Paul Stuckey was in town, I would have asked yeah. him, thought of this asking really him to weird, sign it. But I have that same... You do the same yeah, magazine, the exact same cover, yeah, and the same yeah. edition. This is like the either the first or second edition. Yeah, you have one of these at home too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if you wouldn't mind signing mine because I'm putting it on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to get some walking well, around. That'll add to its value. <laughs> <Got to. laughs> I still yeah. don't have enough quarters for Social Security, so, Megan. Yeah. So we need some walking around. I looked around up the value. Who's not going to buy a Hootenanny magazine <laughs> signed by Jerry Springer? <laughs> Whoa, you can retire on that. Let me tell you, I looked up the value of it. I just Googled in this, yeah. this particular uh, uh, edition of it. Yeah. $99. No kidding. Really? Yeah, which I think is basically nothing, but not, not 10 cents, but yeah, it probably cost a quarter back then in 1962. Oh, yeah. So... Uh, and, cool. and then people who uh, hope for my demise, we may have met it because last <laughs> week after I came on here talking all tough about all, oh, I rode Rogue in the uh, Flying Pig Marathon, <laughs> right. yeah. you know, and, and I pretended I was a race official. That yeah. episode ended and a guy walked up to me right here in the folk school coffee parlor. You guys weren't around uh-uh. and he walked over like he's a cop or something. And he said, uh, looked like he's around 30, dressed casually. And he said, uh, oh, so you're talking about riding in that marathon, pretending you're a race official. And I go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty funny bit, isn't it? And he goes, well, that jersey you talked about, how they changed up the uni on you from last year. Yeah. You showed up with the wrong color. Color. <laughs> he said, did it look like this? And he holds up his cell phone. It's a picture of the uniform. He says, I'm a race official. No way. And we're going to have to ask you to never come near the race again, I don't, I don't sir. want to see you on the beach <laughs> of Cincinnati of ever. So he said, uh, you got some contact. I think this could have been a trap. He says, you got any contact information? So I gave him the official <laughs> Jerry Springer executive producer business card I have. By the way, Megan, it's not producer. It's executive, executive producer. producer. Oh, yes. Do we have any regular producers? <laughs> no. Uh, well, we must. <laughs> You'd have to, wouldn't you? This is a complicated show to produce. Grace, I'm going to hook you up as a real race official. Mr. Galvin, we are going to have to ask you to leave the race <laughs> yeah, course. Yeah. The race. <laughs> anyway. That's cool. I uh, wanted to ask you, Jerry. We have all followed the controversial move, and people argue that it's right. Some argue that it's improper. Uh, what is your take? And you are a Jew. That should be known, too. So yeah. I'm very interested in your take as a liberal to a conservative president moving yeah. the embassy to Jerusalem and all the aftermath. What's your take Right. Uh, Trump this week, uh, as you know, moved the American embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And I admit to being conflicted by this. I, as Jean said, I'm Jewish. I, I have family in Israel. Uh, our prayers at various um, Jewish um, s- services or whatever, uh, even Passover always ends by saying, next year, Jerusalem. So the, uh, so the idea, the administration's decision to move our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem should, just based on that, should have brought me unrestrained joy that, oh my gosh, finally, after 5,000 years, we, you know, we get to be back in Jerusalem. 
And, but the truth is my joy is somewhat restrained. And so you might ask, or I ask myself even, why, why is there something wrong with this picture? And the major reason, of course, is because it was done unilaterally. Um, the whole question of what will be the capital, um, whether, you know, Israel can say Jerusalem is its capital, and it, it is, but that's still being, it's undecided in terms of the uh, Arab world, the, the Islam, the Muslims there. And this is something that has to be negotiated if we're going to get a final settlement. So let me start this way. Why is, just let's say for people that don't follow the news every day and they keep hearing about the Middle East and, you know, they know very little about it. Why is the Middle East important? Very simply, the Middle East is important because it is the center of the world's energy. It is the umbilical cord of civilization. The Middle East is where three major religions have it, their birth, whether you're talking about Christianity, uh, Judaism, um, Islam. They can all, we all find our basis, our start in the Middle East. In fact, even in Jerusalem. And thirdly, of course, that is the place with currently the possible exception of North Korea or whatever. But generally, that is the place where the world's going to blow up in terms of nukes. Over the last 50 years, it's going to happen in the Middle East. And the war we have now going on in Syria, et cetera, and dealing with Iran. So that the whole world comes together in the Middle East. Everything that is important, everything that people would give their life for and die for, comes together in the Middle East because that's where people's religion is. That's where the birthplace of their culture. That's, as I said, where energy is. That's where the nukes face each other. That's why it's so important. Now, what is the basis of the dispute? Just in terms, not going back biblical times, but just within the last 70 years, because in fact it was this week, 70 years ago, that the state of Israel was created. And how it happened after World War II, because of what happened to the Jews, particularly, you know, with the Holocaust and everything, there was, there is this notion, this movement, certainly within the Jewish community, and much of the world went along with it, is that wherever Jews exist, they are a minority. Whatever country they're in, the Jews are always the minority. So the thought was, particularly after the Holocaust and World War II, we needed to have a homeland, one place where Jews could be safe and be in the majority, etc. So, so what the United Nations did is they created a mandate where they took what was Palestine and said, we're going to create two countries. One part of it will be Palestine, where mostly the Arab population would live, and the other part will be Israel, where the Jews can live. Neither side, frankly, was very happy with that. The Jews thought, no, oh, wait a second, we want all of Palestine because of biblical reasons, etc." And the Arabs were saying, well, we're living there now, we want all of Palestine. But finally, the Jews said, okay, we'll take the half that you're giving us, that'll be Israel, 
1948, as I said, 70 years ago this week, the State of Israel was created. The Arabs would not take the other half and become a state. And instead, all the Arab states in the Middle East declared war on Israel. So that was the birth of the, of, of the state. Then you jump to 1967, when it looks like the Arab states are now all getting ready to attack Israel. And we have what we know in, at June of 67, the Six-Day War. And Israel pushed back against the attack from all the Arab states, or the bordering Arab states. And in pushing back, not only did it defend itself, but it actually pushed the, the Arab states back further. So Israel suddenly got the Golan Heights, which is the northern part near Syria. And it got the West Bank, which was the a part that which was part of Jordan, but it pushed Jordan back to the actually to the Jordan River. In the south, it pushed the, it went through the Negev, which was was Egypt, and it pushed all the way there. And in six days, finally, there was a truce. And what the truce was is that Israel moved back a little bit, but basically kept those areas that it quote won in the war. And that is now what we call the occupied territories. And we've been living with that ever since. The United States has been the broker of whatever peace comes in the Middle East for the last half century. So in 1978, you had the, uh, with, with Jimmy Carter, you, uh, you had the Camp David Accords, where in fact, with the United States and President Carter brokering it, we had the first peace treaty, where there is peace now, a treaty between Egypt and Israel, between Jordan and Israel. In other words, whatever peace exists there now officially is because the United States has been the honest broker. Frankly, the United States has been economically and sometimes militarily uh, helping a lot of the states in that region, not just Israel. That's the position we're in. It's a very powerful position, and as much as there are all these fights that are going on in the Middle East consistently, there's some sense of order that it's not blowing up the whole world because you had a superpower that was making sure we had some sense of peace. The danger of what happened this past week is that by unilaterally taking Israel's position, Jerusalem which is part of the occupied territory in terms of what the Arab states think. Jerusalem is now, we will put our embassy in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. Well, all of a sudden, the United States can no longer play the role as the honest broker. The Arab world, the Muslim world, Islam, much of the world now believes that America will not be an honest broker, but America is anti-Muslim, anti-Islam, anti-Arab. This is the message we send out there. That hurts any possibility for a two-state solution. There has to be a two-state solution, and I say that as a lover of Israel, because Israel does not have a future unless there's a two-state solution. Israel was created to be a democratic Jewish state. A Jewish state, but it would be democracy. The people would vote for their government. 
The problem now is because Israel expanded its borders during the 67 war, the Six-Day War, now, simply by the growth of population, most of the people living there in a very short time won't be Jewish, they're Arabs. So if you're giving everybody the vote, it will no longer be a Jewish state. If you're going to have a democracy, the people that now live there, it will no longer be a Jewish state. Jews will once again be a minority. So if you want to have a Jewish state and keep a democracy, you have to change the borders, bring in the borders a little bit, so that the majority of the people living there are Jewish, and then you still can have your democracy. It's also morally right, so the Palestinians there can have their own state. So the two-state solution is important for the existence of Israel, and it is also important for the moral grounds of the Palestinians having their own country as well. We have now terribly hurt any prospects for that two-state solution and peace because there's no superpower left in the world that will act as the honest broker anymore. That's the damage that Trump and this administration have just done by this purely symbolic act that had no substance. They're not even, we're not even going to fill the embassy with people. It was just a statement there, and we're going to build a building. It has no real effect. And to add insult to injury, which probably was the most disgusting part of this, is that what does our administration do? They bring to the ceremony of the opening of the embassy a pastor to give the opening prayer. And this is the pastor, Robert Jeffries, who said, and said it as recently as yesterday, did not deny that he said it in interviews, that Islam and Mormonism is a heresy from the pit of hell. And Hitler was sent by God to drive Jews into Israel. I'm not making this up. These are direct quotes that he said as recently as yesterday in interviews. You can Google it or look it all up. Why? I mean, seriously, let's say you love Trump. You love the administration. You would never, ever think of not voting Republican. Are you telling me that here you're going into the Middle East, which is a powder keg to begin with, you couldn't find one pastor, one Christian minister, who doesn't believe or wouldn't say or believe that, you know, Islam is the pit of hell? And Hitler was there to send Jews to Israel? You couldn't find anyone that wouldn't just stick it to the, to, to the Arab world? When they think where this administration is prejudiced and bigoted, don't they have a point? Not only do you say Muslims, you're not welcome in this country, and Mexicans get on out, and, and all the, and, and when we had the uh, Charlottesville march, he's, you know, he, hey, there's some good neo-Nazis and there's some good, you know, all this stuff, which makes you think, God, is he stupid or is he really a bigot? And then we do this? Is there no one sitting around 
in the White House when they're planning this trip, and there's someone whose job it is, okay, we're going to have an opening ceremony. You'll speak, you'll speak. Oh, first let's have the minister. Who are we going to get as a minister? Oh, let's get this guy that is going to go into the Middle East and say Islam is the pit of hell. What? What's going on? Are these, I, I just don't believe it's just that these people are stupid. I believe that they're really, there's some sinister thing going on there that just like, remember we talked about Bannon in the beginning of the administration, that he's looking for the war of civilization. White Christianity versus the rest of the world. That's what they're aiming for. And every day we get new evidence that that is the case. This was a bad move, and I say that as a lover of Israel. Thank you, Jerry. As Jean mentioned at the top of the show this evening, we have with us Andrew Atkins, um, who is currently residing in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome, Andrew. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. So what brings you to Cincinnati? Um, I've been coming here pretty regularly for the last several months. Um, I was originally in uh, Defiance, Ohio is where I grew up, so oh, I'm okay. kind of somewhat native. Very, very I got a pretty cool story too, Jerry. I used to watch you when I first started learning how to write songs. The tele- I put the television on, right? You know, I got to stay yeah. up late in high school because <clears throat> my parents wouldn't let me stay up any otherwise. But in the summertime, I could stay up. Yeah. So I'd put the Jerry Springer show on and I'd kind of figure out how to write songs and yeah. you were kind of like... In the background. I know it's weird. Let, I know it's strange. Do but. you see how educational my show is? <laughs> <laughs> so for better or worse, yeah, you, you had some go, sort let's of Let's go with worse. <laughs> you had some sort of an impact. But yeah, always been a fan, so it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Very, very cool. So what's the uh, title of the first song you're going to play for us this evening? This one I wrote uh, about my dad. He grew up in eastern Kentucky in the coal mine city. This one's called Old Coal Town. Left my job on a mountain top in search of a better life for me to lead on it sometimes. I fly right off them tracks. I did my time in the county jail. My ex girlfriend's mother had to post my bail, and I'm sorry for the trouble I have brought. Yes, I'm sorry, but trouble is all I've got. Detroit headed Motor City bound Could a girl like you show the stranger around We can go out and tear up this old town A little bit of money won't buy you time Be careful how you spend it and you'll be just fine Just don't sit there with pity all over your face Just don't blow all your blessings in one place well, I grow a little weary bound All rest is to get rolling when the heart aches And with no one in that old cold town mm-hmm. Took a job playing guitar in St. Augustine I ran into the loveliest girl I seen But regretfully, I never received her name 
living's never easy in a one-horse town well, Some days you're up and the next you're down You might win a few, but fewer than you You just roll with the punches The best that you can do My kids were under pressure, I was blowing steam A riverboat captain, east of New Orleans And the weather was fine, but I sure miss my home when push comes to shoving and it's all too much Be careful who you loving and just who you trust Or you'll end up alone hustling what you can Get your place in line But be careful of where you stay Well I grow a little weary bound All rest is to get rolling when the heartaches ain't with no one in that old cold town when everything is that same old same There ain't no future to stake no claim In that old cold town said you started writing when you were in high school when did you start playing in public and when did your career really kind of take off um I was uh when I was in high school I was about 17 I was playing with the older guys okay. up in Ohio and they would actually sneak me into the bars and tell everybody <laughs> I was like 21 and um that's also how I started drinking as well so. yeah. Oh. yeah yeah <laughs> went in Rome <laughs> <laughs> anyway. uh, what's the title of your second song for us this evening sir? um <clears throat> this is called you know I'm indestructible and tell us where we can hear some of your music if we'd like to check you out. Yeah, you can find me on andrewatkins.net. I'm on all the social media. Andrew Atkins, excellent. That's A-D-K-I-N-S. We are carrying around these demons without any rhyme or reason. Guess that's inevitable. Loyalty or treason, tis the season for believing. It's so undeniable. Until the devil comes to claim it, looks like God will never say me. I'm untouchable. 
nothing that you say could ever kill me in any way. I'm indestructible. These political ringleaders Skilled in tricking true believers That's so despicable Treating people just like peasants Neither the past, future, nor present Is repeatable Until the devil comes to claim it Looks like God will never save it I'm untouchable Nothing that you say could ever kill me That was Andrew Atkins, who's visiting us from Nashville. Are you doing any other shows here in the area while you're in town, Andrew? No, I'm not, actually. This uh, is it, huh? Yeah, I just came down for this. <laughs> just came in to see Jer. <laughs> well, we're really glad that you did. If you, if you don't mind taking that us out on... That is great writing. Yeah, it's really... Oh, thank you. Really thank you. Really so much. It's because of you. <laughs> it's the muse that I could he is. I could a lot tell. of material. I know exactly what show you got it from. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of material to, to shift through in my head. And, oh, you know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was only in high school. Only in high school. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> All right. Andrew, we're going to have you take us out here on Down by the Riverside and 
Your muse, Jerry Springer, is going to sing along <laughs> with you. <laughs> going to lay down my sword and shield Down by the riverside Down by the riverside Down by the riverside I'm going to lay down my sword and shield Down by the riverside Down by the Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Y'all come back now, you hear?